Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome back, everyone. This is Red Sox Deep Dives. Andrew Dwan, Job Goddard back with me. You guys ready to get into it? Let's do it. All right. The three topics we have this week, we're going to talk about what a leadoff hitter means to the Red Sox. Do they still value leadoff hitting like they used to? We'll get into the spider tax sticky situation. Was Martin Perez's bad outing a result of him possibly not using that stuff? We're not making accusations, but... This stuff's going to start getting enforced next week. Some guys are going to want to be coming off of it, and we're going to discuss what it might mean uh, for the Red Sox and the league in the second half. And then finally, Xander Bogart's making comments this week about shortstops getting paid what they deserve. Maybe he kind of insinuated he could potentially opt out, so we'll get into all of it right now. So... The leadoff spot, it's an area that we've struggled in this year. What is the Red Sox mindset on that role on the team? Andrew, why don't you go first? Well, I'll tell you, I think it's going to be different from this day forward than it has been in the beginning of the year. I think Cora was trying to get – well, Hernandez going earlier in the year, and then we saw Arroyo and Santana. I think he was trying to get them at bats and get them it, just seeing what they have to offer. But I think now he's going to start cracking down. We saw him move Arroyo, uh, Kike back up in the final game of the Houston series. I think – expectations are going to be 270 and if it's going to be down to Arroyo and Hernandez who can hit 270 that's going to be the leadoff guy the guy that can't he's going to be your seven guy sorry but that's just how it is um if you can't hit you can't you can't be there you have to set you have to set the tone and that's not just the first inning that's when we turn the lineup uh, lineup over the second time through that's going to be the expectations. There was time to play around, time to see what guys had to offer. Um, you had six, 70, close to 70 games to do that. And the season starts now. The race starts now. Yeah, I, I think Cora really wants to stick with a veteran who's seen some success in the big leagues in that spot. And that's why we see this insistence on Kike Hernandez being the guy in, in the first, you know, in the first position, he, he knows what he's going to get from Kike a little bit more than he knows what he's going to get from Arroyo. And that's not a knock on Arroyo. He's been great this year. I think Cora just relies on veterans more than he relies on young guys, even though he has patience with young guys almost always. We, we see that when it comes, push comes to shove, he's always going to have the veterans back. Uh, so to me, I wonder if this is the, the players saying, you know, we, we like this approach, we don't like that approach. Arroyo doesn't see a lot of pitches. Uh, he swings early in the count. Uh, and that might be something that Cord does not want to take away from him. He wants him to be free swinging, and therefore he's not great for the leadoff role in Cord's mind. He'd be my go-to guy. Um, but I don't think they view it traditionally the way that other teams do that we have in the past where you need a guy who has speed 
manufacture some runs. They have a very different approach, and it seems to be: can you put the bat on the bat on the ball? Can you put the ball in play? And can you very consistently see multiple pitches? And I I wonder if maybe Kike's experience is the reason that he's still the one hitter. Well, Nesson made comments, Dave O'Brien, Jerry Remy, they seem to have the impression that the Red Sox just don't look at it the way they used to. And I refer to this century of Red Sox baseball as the World Series era. That's how I like to refer to it. We've won four. No other team has won that many this century. And we've had three prominent leadoff hitters, 2002 through 2005 for four seasons. You basically had Johnny Damon, 294 hitter, 400 uh, on base percentage. Then, you know, a few years go by, you get Jacoby Ellsbury in there, 2008 through 2013. He had a an exact identical average as Johnny Damon did 294 had a 370 OBP on base percentage. And then a couple years later, Mookie Betts spends the vast majority of his tenure with the Red Sox in that leadoff position. Now he's obviously a generational talent hit 301 418 OBP in that uh, time frame, but those are elite numbers and Jacoby Ellsbury is the worst of the three of those. Probably not even close to a hall of famer, 294, 370. So yeah. And Jacoby Ellsbury deserved the MVP the year Verlander won it. Um, The only reason he didn't is because the New York voters screwed him out of it. The same ones that said they'll never vote for a pitcher when Pedro was up for it. And they voted for Pudge. And then they voted for a pitcher when Ellsbury should have won it. The Red Sox were lucky as all hell to have those guys there for, was that, 17, 17 years? 17 Pretty much, yeah, years. 17 of the 20, right? That doesn't, 15 you of know, the 20, yeah. 15 of the 20, so you don't, that doesn't happen. They had literally a top three leadoff guy in the league for 75% of this run. And they've been blessed to have that situation. It's hard to come by because, you know, we had that. We had the DH being the top of the league. Um, the Red Sox have had some anomalies, and I think we're, we just kind of have to accept being more league a- average uh, when it comes to our expectations going forward for that. It's just frustrating because we've seen how championships get won and, you know, we've won one championship without David Ortiz. We're going to attempt it without a a traditional leadoff guy, apparently. And it's just, I want them, I want them to target somebody, whether it's free agency or development you know we talked about jaron duran in the last episode he could be another strikeout machine for all we know maybe he doesn't translate to that leadoff spot despite having the the foot speed that you would desire in a in a typical leadoff guy so i just hope somehow some way they do try to identify somebody who is somewhat of the mold of at least an an ellsbury type guy well, I think as far as like an Ellsbury type guy, there's probably only two or three of those in Major League Baseball at any given moment. The the ones that I would point to right now as the best leadoff hitters in baseball are probably Trey Turner, 
in Washington. And then a few miles north of that would be Cedric Mullins in Baltimore. Those are probably my top two as far as leadoff hitters and consistency goes. But if you look across the league, the leadoff hitter is not being used the way that it used to be. It's not the same. Think about the San Diego Padres, who are probably the second favorite, maybe the third favorite to win the World Series this year. Their leadoff hitter on any given night has almost no speed. Right, And that's something that we don't ever see. Um, the Pirates as well. Like across the league, there's just no speed at the leadoff position consistently. And it's not because those guys aren't there. It's because they're being used elsewhere in the lineup. And because the OBP for everybody across the league is down. People are just not hitting the same way. And those guys that are hitting 300, 280, you need them in the heart of your lineup instead of at the top of your lineup because... You want those guys to have runners on as well. So there's a little bit of a difference of opinion there, I think, between what Bloom thinks and what we think. Well, I guess for the Red Sox' sake, the maybe the, the path of least resistance is finding another middle-of-the-order bat and maybe even someone you plug in the two-hole, and then Verdugo gets put up in that leadoff spot. I know he seems to prefer... The two-hole, but, I mean, this season he's got leadoff type numbers. He's a two ninety two average, three fifty one OBP. The guy hardly ever strikes out. He's like one of the fewest strikeout guys in the league. I think he was like eighth from the bottom of all the qualifiers. Only seven, seven people struck out less. That was a couple of weeks ago when I saw that. But maybe that's the route you have to go. Because those are leadoff type numbers, and I think that I think he should go there. Terry, I've would you be surprised? Excuse me, Andrew. One second, just gonna gonna spit this stat out. Would you be surprised to know that the the best leadoff man in the big leagues, as far as average, is three twenty three, right? And the next best is two eighty seven. Those. Those numbers show you that you're not going to have a Johnny Damon, Jacoby Ellsbury guy with the way the league is trending. I'd be, strikeout numbers are up and hits are down. I'd be yeah, curious I mean, to know what the OBPs are of uh, those guys. but I mean, they're teaching bat dodging nowadays, which is hard. You, you know, you bring a guy in the, the, in the fifth to relieve the guy that was throwing 99, you bring in the guy that's throwing 101. It, it's so hard. I actually wonder what a, I was thinking about this earlier, what a guy like Ichiro would hit nowadays. I don't think he, I think his career average would drop uh, significantly, but uh, I've been banging the trash can. That's an Astros joke all year for Verdugo to move up to the lead up spot. He finished 12th in the MVP voting last year, batting lead off. I understand some guys don't like doing it and their effectiveness goes down, but I don't think his effectiveness went down whatsoever last year. Um, batting lead off. And I, sorry, but I, I want him to see him game in game out doing that. He had better numbers last Andrew. year. I don't disagree with Andrew. I would go over Dugo at the one and then move everybody up a slot. I have no, no problem with that at all. Everybody just goes up one and you slot Kike in at the bottom of that at the seven hole or the eight hole. Uh, but those OBPs, I just looked them up while, while we're sitting here waiting for that. 406 and 360, the top two OBPs for leadoff men. Is Trey Turner the 323 that you referenced? Cedric Mullins that, is the 323. Okay. What, Turner what's Turner? 
okay. know, 360 OBP. Those are the two guys that I use just because those are the, the numbers. That, I mean, they're the best ones, yeah. <laughs> I mean, across the league. And if you look at it, the drop-off is significant. So would Verdugo probably give you better numbers in the leadoff spot than everybody else that's on that list? Yeah, maybe. I mean, if you look at like the Los Angeles Angels kind of line, they have Justin Upton hitting 225 in the leadoff spot, and they're totally happy with it. That's a lineup with Otani, Mike Trout when he's healthy, uh, Anthony Rendon. Their heart of the order is equally as potent as ours or any lineup in baseball, and yet the guy hitting in front of the big bats hits 230 by, by choice. Like The design of top of the order is so different than it used to be. And I, I don't know why that is, but the Rays, the Rays, which is the team that this Red Sox team is starting to emulate with Heim Bloom at the top of the organizational depth chart here, they have Manuel Margot hitting 240 in the leadoff spot. He doesn't have a lot of speed. He's built more in a what would be like a five, six hole hitter. Uh, if he had a choice in the old way of doing things, I, I think. Somewhere along the line, Heim Bloom watched the movie Moneyball, and he took that direct quote where they're talking about how Johnny Damon's not worth the money they're paying him because even though leadoff hitters are good, they don't matter as much as people think. That seems to be an organizational thing at this point. Well, we'll see. I, you know, you guys know how I feel about Bloom behind the scenes, and I'll be curious to see what he does uh, with a with a lot more money to spend and a lot less constrictions. Let's move on to uh, a sticky situation as it keeps getting hashtagged throughout the league. Uh, next week, pitchers will be inspected uh, multiple times throughout the game. Perhaps as they enter the game, when they leave the game, there could be penalties if they are found with substances they're not allowed to have. Garrett Richards is in the top. 100 percentile for his curveball. So, I mean, that's a guy I think people are going to be looking for. I think his numbers could be monitored by the league in the in the stat cast. We've seen some drop-offs with pitchers already. Martin Perez had a rough outing. That could just simply be, I'm, and I'm speculating just to be clear, uh, but that could also be just because the Astros are, are that damn good uh, at making adjustments, uh, as they probably are anyway. But how is this going to affect the Red Sox? I, it's going to affect everyone because, you know, everyone's obviously been using a little bit of something. But it's not like they're just going to go to raw dog in the baseballs here. <laughs> and. <laughs> well, you know what I mean? They get that weird ass clay from some weird spot in New Jersey that no one will give the address for. But they're gonna they're still gonna let him use pine tar. And I don't know how long Spider Tack has been around for, but Garrett Richards spin rate, and I sent you these stats, they haven't changed since 2015. They've all they've been super consistent. And that's what the Red Sox targeted all year all off season they were like uh spin rate darlings is who they really went after so i don't i'm not too worried because none of these guys have had giant jumps like we've seen the garrett coles and the trevor bauer who i mean bauer literally told people he was going to do it the red sox haven't had the haven't signed those guys that said 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make my uh, spin rate increase by 900 RPMs. I'm not overly worried. And if anything, I'm actually a little intrigued because our offense, I think, has a bunch of dogs. And I think if that ball is coming at them and they can read that spin off their hands, we might be in luck and we might start hitting a little bit more. I'm on the other end of the spectrum and that I think it's going to hurt us a little bit. We don't have Garrett Cole. We don't have Justin Verlander. We don't have any of these guys who are really spinning the baseball. We do have Matt Barnes. Uh, I'm looking at the spin rates right now. Matt Barnes is number three in the major leagues in fastball spin rate. We know this season he's throwing that first pitch fastball for strikes a lot more than he did last season where he seemed to be like if the curveball's not working, he was going to get crushed. And it's a contract year for him. So I would bet a lot of money that Matt Barnes is using the spider tack. He wasn't as sharp in New York as he's been previously. Uh, That came hours after the announcement that they're going to start checking pitchers. So I'd be a little bit worried about Matt Barnes. Outside of that, we've got five other pitchers in the top 80, uh, which concerns me a little bit uh, as far as the, the spin rate goes. But again, Andrew makes a good point. Our offense is dynamic already. So how many runs will they score if the other guys aren't cheating? Um, my concern mainly is if it turns out that a lot of our staff is using this stuff and they drop off significantly over the next four to six weeks and everybody else you know, starts to hit better and that gap between our offense and everyone else's offense shrinks a little bit, and the gap between what has been our pitching, our pitching starts to go down to the mean a little bit. I think we're number five in ERA. If we drop down to number 12, um, that could be a concern, especially if we don't have Matt Barnes as automatic ninth inning closer. Uh, I think I would be very worried. So I think kind of Barnes, sorry, I, I, I think Barnes's biggest thing has been throwing strike one. I think that's, you know, getting ahead of the count has been his biggest, you know, aid this season. But I, even if the Red Sox do get dinged at, let's just throw an arbitrary number out there at a 10% clip, that's what their pitching regresses. What's a team like Houston facing? I mean, Valdez came out not this past game, but the one in Houston with a different glove after he couldn't find the strike zone. It's just like, dude, you might as well just been applying shit to your hand, like on the mound, just rubbing it in like PRL. It probably (laughs) was. You know, I I think other teams are definitely going to come down. I just wonder to what extent and what the market correction is going to be. Right? I mean, you look at some of these starters like Trevor Bauer, for example. He got paid $40 million a year over the next couple of years for the LA Dodgers using the sticky stuff. Prior to 2018, he had a 4.48 career ERA. And then he says to everybody, I'm going to start using what everyone else is using, the sticky stuff. And his ERA drops to a 2.68. Are teams like the Dodgers going to get absolutely screwed over by this? Like, is he going to go back to being a 4 ERA pitcher? Well, that and that's similarly that goes across the league. That's been the big be topic a, uh, the last few days. I mean, Garrett Cole was asked point blank, "Have you used Spider Tack?" And he goes, "Well, um, for a good thirty seconds, he literally just stumbles, <laughs> and then he says, well, I don't know how to answer that.' And of course, he's he's probably using it's like it. Me with the SATs. 
<laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, you know, the thing is, if Matt Barnes, you know, is is using this stuff, because I only use him because his spin rate has been exponentially higher this year than last year. It's the only reason I use him. Um, and because he's number three in baseball and fastball spin rate, right? I just pulled that up. I don't know if those stats are accurate. Um, but assuming that he drops off a little bit, is everyone going to assume that he was using the spider tack? And then what does his free agency money look like? You know, does does the market correction really is it going to hit pitchers the way that I think it is? Because if it is, then the Yankees are really, really screwed. Well, that's that the question. Really that's the question. Is he really a three hundred and forty-two million dollar pitcher without the spider tack? I, I was just looking for a quote today. There was I I wanted to say it was an Angels pitcher, but like I said, I couldn't find it. But they basically said it's like the steroid era. You knew everybody else was doing it, and if you want to be competitive, you have to do it too. And he, I don't think he was talking about spider tax specifically, but but substances. So, so is the league gonna? Are they gonna half-ass this, or are they gonna get aggressive with it? I, I think a lot of it depends on the managers and the players and how they want to approach things. The players want as little disruption as possible to getting paid on the pitching side of things on the hitting side of things. You have guys like Josh Donaldson, like he's pissed. He's like, my strikeout rates have gone up the last four years. Some of those guys, like that might cost them a a big contract. Some guys like Carlos Correa, who everyone seems to hate right now, Jose Altuve. These are guys that, you know, even with the cheating that they have, they had a good chance if they got five more years of, of, you know, knowing what pitch was coming, going to the Hall of Fame, right? Like, to me, it's going to depend on how the players and the Players Association handles this in the next bargaining agreement, the next collective bargaining agreement, because I think this year they're going to use lip service, probably three, four suspensions the whole season for all of Major League Baseball about this. And it'll be the guys who are Michael Pineda level obvious, Right when he's got the pine tar painted on the side of his neck, I just don't think they're going to go as aggressively after it as they say they are. This is like when they said we're going to start testing for steroids in '04. They test everybody, half the league is doing it, and then the next thing you know, they don't really suspend people for another year or two. They don't really suspend big guys until the biogenesis stuff comes out. So to me, next year maybe, hopefully. I hope baseball does something about it, but I, I doubt it this year. I don't think it'll make that big a difference as far as it's going to be ratings based too. Cause if there's no hitting, there's going to be no viewers. And this summer, I guarantee you, even if baseball was the most invigorating sport on the earth, ratings is going to be down because everyone can do, do whatever they want again this summer. So if you're sitting inside on a Saturday, watching a ball game, you probably didn't have much going on, but I there's just gonna be a natural regression post pandemic life of ratings, and I'm not I don't expect the you know casual fan to tune into a, a one nothing seventeen combined strikeout game um, from the number four pitchers on each staff because who wants who wants to watch that. Well, th- there's just so many. I could get into so many things right now. And we we only have so much time, but I mean, Hunter Renfro spoke out against it with Tom Karen. He says it's getting pretty ridiculous. 
You had the Donaldson comments. Look at the Jared Kalenic. How how can a guy like him come up and expect to succeed if these guys are are using these substances? They're making it so hard for these prospects to come up. And may, maybe that's part of what Bobby Dahlbeck's problem is. I don't know. That's he, what I've been saying. Yeah, I agree with you there. He's had strikeout issues all along the way. But here's another thing, too. How can they talk about moving the mound back six inches or lowering the mound, making all these adjustments if they're not going to adjust the sub, if they're not going to address the substances? So well, I think a big piece of what Major League Baseball has always done is let's bury it and move on. Let's bury it and move on. It's like it's almost like their FIFA, right? In Europe, just like trying to bury everything. Um, that's been a consistent issue with baseball. I wish they would take the bull by the horns and just say, look, this season. We're going to start suspending people, but it's going to be small. And then behind closed doors, they tell the Player Association and Tony Clark, who's their representative, like, if this happens next year, we're going to start suspending people every day. But even if you have clean guys like a Duke Rom who can throw a 102 with a 94-mile-an-hour changeup, I mean, this is starting to become the norm just with natural body progression and training and regimens. You might have to move it back a little bit. Um, just kind of like moving a three point line back. I'm I'm very okay with it. Do yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. I I I hate it at first, but if that's what it takes just to figure out, you know, body progression, training progression, and bat dodging is what they treat uh, train nowadays. I'm okay with it, especially if it doesn't lead to more injuries like they've uh, come up with their studies. Yeah, I mean, Manfred came out with a with a memo to every team on, I think it was March 23rd, that there would be punishments. The players called the bluff. They continued to use it. I think enough players across the league want this to be addressed. I, I think there there's a lot of pressure on the commissioner. I think we're going to see suspensions. I think we're going to see a couple of big names go down, and I think the rest of the league is going to fall intact. I tweeted out earlier, sunscreen and rosin was MLB giving the players an inch, and then they brought in spider tack and took a mile. I think they're going to be aggressive. I I hope they are, Terry. This will be the last thing I say on the subject. I hope they come out, and the first time they see Trevor Bauer spinning a gem, the umpire comes out and checks his glove every half inning. And I, I hope that's the case. I just don't see it. I know from a Red Sox perspective, you know, Alex Cora has told his players, and it's been reported now, he's not going to ask umpires to check. And he's not going to ask people to enforce it because of his history with, with cheating and his reputation. It'd be like the call in the kettle black, and he said he's not going to do that. So this might give other teams an edge. You know, I, I, I'm looking for MLB to come down hard because if they don't, and people start continue to use it, and the Red Sox start to play clean. We're gonna lose an edge. So I think it's entirely on the umpires. The, I don't think the managers are gonna get involved at all. They're gonna have directives by the league officials, and they're gonna and they're gonna enforce it. I think is how it'll go. I would love but, that, and I think that's that's probably the only way that umpires can stay involved long term relative to baseball. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the robot strike zone, it can't tell if you're using pine tar. Right, so they'll have a reason to be relevant. I had nothing else to say, and I do agree we need to move on. But I just remember something. Remember when that ball hit Yachty Molina in the chest protector and stuck there? 
Yes, we should have uh, we should have known then. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> All right, moving on. Uh, finally, the Red Sox uh, are could find themselves in an interesting uh, situation with Xander Bogarts. He had some comments in an interview with Rob Bradford, and I'm going to read a couple of quotes here. And I will say this. I would have given Xander maybe a 10% chance of opting out. I'm up to about 70 or 80 at this point. He's going to opt out. (laughs) But here here are some quotes. This is why I think that. And this is Xander talking to Rob Bradford from WEI. Xander says uh, this was uh, on his mindset being different this year than when he agreed to the extension uh, in 2019. This is what Xander had to say about his mindset on that. He goes, he goes, at the time when I signed, I knew I had some good years, but they weren't as good as these last couple of years. I knew I was a good player, but I've taken it to another level since then. Hey man, you have, you get paid a lot of money. You've got to show up and earn it. Rob Bradford asks him, does he have a, okay. Does he have a different perspective than two years ago? And Xander says, I do. Obviously, I know I love the city, but you know how all those guys are getting paid and stuff like that. So when that time comes, we'll see what happens. It's very interesting. A lot of guys are getting what they deserve. We'll see what happens. So this sounds like a guy who's going to opt out, whether he wants to, whether it's Scott Boris pressuring him, whether it's the players union pressuring him, whatever the reason is. I think there there's a good chance he might not be with the Boston Red Sox in a few years. So let, let's start well, with that. Do you think he's going to opt out? Yeah, a thousand percent. And I absolutely think he should opt out. I, I mean, as a Red Sox fan, I don't want him to because they have him on one of the best deals in baseball. But it makes zero. I think we all would. We can't kid ourselves saying we wouldn't want more money and he deserves more money. We can all agree. I don't think it'll be any controversy to say that he took a team friendly discount and Scott Boris came out in the beginning of the year and said pretty much that, that he was going to opt out. Um, He said the Red Sox pretty much got one over on him. Um, And how, how can you expect him not to right now? He's making only 20 million bucks when you have a guy in New York in um, Frankie Lindor that can't hit a lick right now. That's making 350 or something like that, or $1 million more than whatever Tatis is making. I Xander deserves the money. This was a great play by him because fans have been very highly critical of this Red Sox ownership saying they're not willing to spend the money. Um, and he's putting the, out the outside pressure on saying, I want to be here, but I want to get paid. And Red Sox fans won't look at the, you know, the larger picture of should we play, pay a guy that's going to be 36 at the end of this deal this much money when he doesn't add any defensive value in his age 29 season. I don't know. I Good for Xander for saying this. Good for Xander for trying to get his money. I'll let you guys go on further about this, and I do have more to add after that, but I think it's a great approach by him and his agent. 
any Scott Boras client is going to take any opportunity they can to boost their salary on an annual basis. That's what Scott Boras preaches to his clients. Xander's absolutely opting out. I think it's 100% at this point. But that's not to say that I think he'll go anywhere. I'm looking right now at Red Sox contract situation beyond 2023. Can either of you tell me how many players we have under contract? Uh, outside of the rookie deals, nobody. Yeah, zero. Chris Sale, that. Uh, yeah. Sander oh, Chris, Bogarts would be the only two. If there's no opt-out. Opt oh, out. Yeah, I'm not counting Xander on that. Then you've got arbitration-eligible guys. Arbitration three for Rafi Devers. He's going to make a boatload of money. And then Alex Verdugo will be in arbitration too. He's going to make some money. You can afford to pay Xander Bogarts what he's due for the next four years. I don't think that if another club is going to stretch to a five- or six-year deal, I don't think he'll be in a Red Sox uniform, which is the issue. I know Andrew's making a face, so Andrew wants to say something on this. But the way that I look at it is the Red Sox can afford to overpay Xander Bogarts for the next three years. I just don't know that they will because Heim Bloom is not Dave Dombrowski. That was my next like question. Tonight, it's moments like tonight where I wish we had Dave Dombrowski. That that's my next question because does Bloom value a guy whose defense is declining on that side of the infield? Now they're going to have one season to shake things up if they want to, if J.D. opts out. Maybe Xander slides over to third, Devers becomes the D.H., Casas is up at some point next year. And Jeter Downs. you got Jeter Downs. Second base. At second base. Or second base. You know, you don't need – but you don't need a second base – a shortstop to be the power of the, the middle of the order. You just don't. You can move Xander to – you can move Xander to third, put Jeter Downs at second, and take a filler shortstop if you had to. But is That's that Heim Bloom's mindset? I don't think it is. Well, two things here. One, Xander hated getting moved to third base. He was very adamant and very, very uh, publicly spoken about hating being a third baseman. And he, he turned into you know, dog crap when he was over there. He, it was in his head. He couldn't play. It was terrible. He it was like, oh my god, did we, did, did we just break this young kid? This sucks. Like we just ruined this kid. That was his and rookie second, year, though. His rookie season when that happened. But he he very clearly was carrying the defensive liability onto his offense. He talked about it. Like I'm so focused on yeah. playing third base, I can't hit. I'm so focused on hitting, I can't play third base. And all right, and my second point is. They could easily give Xander more money right now, but does he want a raise or does he want an extension? I don't think he wants a raise. I think he wants a flat-out extension. He'll play the next two years under his contract, but starting after 2022, he's going to want a fresh new deal. He's and not going to just want you know, a few million added on to the 20 that he's got on the – final three he's gonna want job security 
um, through his 36, 37 age season, because what does 15 to $20 million extra built in over the course of four years do for him? It does nothing. He could make way more hitting free agency the year after this generational free agent class of Baez and um, story. Yeah. And well, yeah, Lindor's got bought up and there's been, there's a couple others, but when, when Xander can opt out, it's him and Trey Turner, and that's it. That is the entire free agent shortstop class that's worth a damn. So he can name his price because we're going to be, God willing, <laughs> fully clear of any sort of medical irregularities, and we're just going to be a 1,000% full tilt. He can name his price. He's a veteran, a team. I mean, damn, the Angels, we know even if they need pitching, they'd be willing to throw him money. Anyone is going to throw him $175 bucks. So I don't think giving him a raise is going to do anything in the short term. I think he wants years added on in addition to a raise. All right, I think there's a decent chance, Terry, that he ends up in pinstripes uh, <laughs> if that's the case because they have – problems with their shortstop position and Duhar's not working out. They're ready for a full reset and Brian Cashman's going to be wanting to spend some money uh, to try to buy a championship before he's stuck with a 38 year old Stanton on the disabled list eating up $34 million a year. So to me, this is like prime take one last run at a title. Let's get one more piece in here. Let's bring A-Rod in to join Jeter, right? It's like one of those. I, I really think that somebody's going to pay him a boatload of money if that's the case. What I would do if I'm the Red Sox, if I'm Heim Bloom, I'd say, look, here's a two-year deal. We'll give you a $38 million a year, which is more than anybody else on the market for two years, and then you go get your big deal after you win a couple of titles. And although, by the way, here's a C on your jersey. So you can sell yourself as a leader to other teams come for agency. Well, so I like that. I don't mind kicking the can down the road with that, especially if they draft a shortstop this year, even though, you know, you can't really count on that. It's not football or basketball. But if I think they will absolutely go to him and uh, Boris, because they are a proactive team, as we've seen the last two years, they'll say, what is it going to take? I don't know if ownership will have the stones to do it. I do know the president and, you know, Heim Bloom won't get sentimental, but would it be the, would it be the worst situation if you know Xander wants $200 million to trade him? Uh, if he declines a raise and moderate extension, well, as opposed to the seven years he'd want on the free agent market, I'm interested to see what Terry now. says about this. You can't. Terry, Terry, he's got a no trade clause, basically. Um, but if a team was willing, because we've seen Boris do this, we've seen them give the 48 hours post deal to work out a contract extension where, you know, Boris doesn't give a damn about any sort of like rules and regulations. He's going to negotiate that way before that. Be like, listen, I have eight deals from teams that will be willing to pay him. Yeah. Like, like the NBA, here's a list of teams he's willing to get traded to. And it's going to be all teams that Mm -hmm. have a boatload of money to spend at shortstop. 
and that are going to give him an extension or he's opting out. Well, yeah, I don't disagree with that. And that's happened and, and it'll happen again, if not with Bogarts, with other people. But the Red Sox can't. The Red Sox don't have a lot of leverage saying, okay, here's what we're going to offer you. And if you don't take it, we're trading you because they don't, they can't trade him, you know, but, you know, in that I, I scenario. Think, I think the big issue for the Red Sox is from a marketing standpoint, he's the face of the franchise right now. The optics are terrible if they don't work and this out. They gave away Mookie Betts. And on top of that, if you look around Boston sports in general, like Jason Tatum's probably the only more recognizable face you can argue than Xander Bogarts, right? There's no face of the Bruins really, except for Bergeron is going to be 38. There's no face of the the Patriots except maybe Mac Jones. We don't know what he's going to be. This is a chance for the Red Sox to really reclaim that number one marketing spot in Boston, as other teams are not competitive and they're building this long competitive streak. You can't do that if you trade the face of the franchise and the fans say, "Screw you." This happens all the time. Stop giving away the greatest players that we have. Like pay the guy. Terry, you just hit it on the you hit it on the nose. The optics are terrible. And that's why today's quote from him was absolutely perfect negotiation. Because it forces right he's putting up the bat signal. Come talk to me. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, and and even if the Red Sox offered him more than a fair deal, you know Boris would be like, you know, we we didn't feel that way. And the Red Sox can't argue back because they're not going to want to get the terrible publicity with other free agents and other players out there where they, you know, they don't value the player. Um, yeah, it, it was a genius ploy by him. This it's They're doing things by the book. And it's a great, you know, a great chess move by Boris and Xander. And, and it's a perfect time for it. Yeah, He's yeah. 38. Exactly. And no one, and this is just coming from me, right? But when I was a kid, you guys were already old men. But <laughs> Derek Jeter is, is lauded as being this great defensive shortstop who won five gold gloves. If you look at Derek Jeter's numbers now, he's a below average shortstop. No one cares. Oh, yeah. He's, he's the Ranger. Qualities. He <sighs> wins you rings. He gets the hit in the big moments. That's exactly what Xander Bogarts can sell. Look, I'm Derek Jeter. Just sign me. And somebody's going to pay him a a boatload of money to do it. So okay. Xander Bogarts is a marketing genius. We'll wrap it up with this. I'm going to throw a scenario out there. You guys tell me if it's realistic or not. Without the vesting option, he's got four years remaining on his deal. 20 million per. So he's got 80 million remaining on his deal that take him through his age 32 season. So if the Red Sox tack three more years Onto those four, keeping it at twenty million per year, that would be seven years, twenty million. That takes him through his age thirty-five season. So that'd be seven years, one hundred and forty million dollars. And for more perspective, if you take the two years he's already played, that would have made the overall total eight years, one hundred and eighty million. Does that pennies. get it done? Does that no. get it done though? No, that's. Pennies. I think he. Yeah, I think he rejects it without even thinking twice. I, he, he if will you make... were to double that, he might even still reject it. If you were to say, "Here's four years, and you're going to get 130 million, he'd probably still say, "You know, I'll take a walk. I'm going to go over and see what the Nationals want to do now that Scherzer's off the books and Trey Turner's a free agent. 
Yeah, Maybe the I'll same time as Soto for them. And the Yankees, and you look at guys like Acuna, who signed a 13-year deal, Tatis, like, he's looking at it and going, why the hell did I sign this contract? He's got all the chips right now. He's he got really all, does. And I understand that he's got two more years, right? It's 2023, right? So he's got one more year after this one. If the Red Sox are competitive next year and he's having a good year, he's walking and he's going to the West Coast to the Dodgers or to – because the Dodgers are going to lose their shortstop as well. Um, or he'll go to a team that's about to compete. So, someone who's about to compete that's going to pay a lot of money because they think he's going to put him over the hump. I think New York is right at the top of that list. I really do. I think the Red Sox would offer him somewhere in the neighborhood of the example I gave. I think he could very well reject it, like you guys said, and I don't think Hein Bloom is going to value him. If he wants to go into free agency at 30 years old, like he will, with declining defense, and he might break down. I mean, he doesn't, he seems to have stamina issues in his 20s right now. So, I just, At that point, I don't Red think Sox I, fans are calling for Bloom's head. There's just no chance. I I, I don't think he's – if he opts out, I think he's gone. If they don't if they don't work out a deal before the opt-out. They'll negotiate through the media at that point. They're going to say every single contract uh, offer they give him, and they're going to try to make him look like shit um, just, you know, through the media. Be like, listen, we're offering this guy $210 bucks. It's going to take him through his age 38 season. We're not going to extend until he's 40. Like, do you want to, do you want to pay out like the Albert Pujols equivalent for, I mean, so three I, I years? understand that, but I just, I look at it and like Xander Bogarts is, he's not saying I'm Mookie Betts. Like I want the biggest contract available. He's saying, pay me what I'm worth. He's oh, worth he should. Million. He should. Yeah. yeah. So he, he's worth 32 and he's getting 20. If they yeah. go out there and they offer him an additional two years, at $38 million, where he's the highest-paid shortstop for two more years, he probably still says take a walk. But if you offer him 38 and then it goes down to 32 for the last two years of that deal, he might take that. He might. He might. I doubt it, but he might. I think he wants the years, like Andrew said, and uh, I, I don't know. I don't – I I'm skeptical. If – if a deal doesn't get reached before the opt out, I think he's gone. They need well, to. In they, that case, they better re-sign Rafael Devers to the biggest contract <laughs> in franchise. Well, that's the thing. I you, I think it's gonna be one of the two, and I think it's gonna be Devers. And I think you do have to, unfortunately, move on from Xander if he doesn't want to, you know, play ball with them for less than seven years. And I hate to say that because I love Xander. I love Xander too, but we'll see. We'll wrap it on that. Hope you all enjoyed it. We will be back Thursday night, uh, excuse me, Sunday night to discuss the uh, Toronto Blue Jays series. Uh, Charlie and Jason will be with me for that episode. Take care, everyone.